Thank you, Pastor Bart, and good morning, church family. I have to say, last Sunday night, I was super proud of all of our life groups who put on, who represented their, their, their missionaries well at our missions fair. Uh, if you didn't make it, you missed out. Uh, it was a great time. Our um, life groups presented um, uh, kind of the, the story of, of each missionary that they are assigned to, and they even, many of them, or most of them, all but one actually, uh, prepared foods. Some of them even found, asked, what were the favorite, your fa- what's your favorite meal, and cooked it, and, and presented some of that to us. Uh, so it was a really neat time, and I was just so um, thankful that we had such a, a, a good degree of ownership by our life groups. Um, at the same time, I feel like I owe some apologies to one life group, the McClendons, um, life group. Um, uh, basically, if you were there and you stuck around to the bitter end, you know that this thing ended with a tie. We had three very, um, very uh, discerning judges. Um, that would be my daughter, Bunny. Um, and that would be, um, who was our judge number two? Rosalie. Rosalie thank you. Yeah, uh, brain, brain freeze for a sec. And myself. And so, you know, we went along and sampled the foods and really enjoyed looking at, at even things like prayer requests that were mentioned um, that were, some of them are very actionable and great. Even some, some life groups had like signups for, hey, here's things you can do to help support this work on the field, this missionary. And I thought that was great. But, and, and there were a number of tables that, that did really well. I mean, they had like a 29 out of 30, which was, you know, amazing. Because we had some tough judges, all right? Um, but there were only two that had the perfect score of, of 30. And so it came down to the McClendons representing our doctors, the Tidwells that we just, just saw this morning. And then um, Bart and his team, right, that were, re- that were representing the Bristols. You know, it was the pilot versus the, the doctors, right, basically, in the end of the day. And so, you know, I brought them both up front and asked them some questions about, um, about their, their missionaries and what they did. And, and then uh, the whole thing ended with an arm wrestling match um, in which... Um, Bart did prevail over Morgan, but one thing that I had forgotten about, like a knucklehead, uh, Morgan had just had shoulder surgery a couple weeks before. So Bart, all that like braggadocious, like shaking the rain stick, and the, I know you got a major case, glass case built at home for that thing. Um, you know, that probably really belongs to Morgan, and Morgan was so godly afterwards, he said, you know, I think Bart might have really needed that rain stick. Um, so, you know, he, he, but, but, and the thing is, I kind of felt like I kind of blew it because um, I asked Bart about, you know, where his missionary served, and he got the country wrong. Same island, but wrong country. So, uh, and then, and then uh, Morgan said, well, it's in uh, East, um, you know, East Bangladesh. And I said, uh, uh, eh, you know, uh, you know, it's really, it should be South Bangladesh or Southeast. And I went and looked at a map later and realized, you know, yeah, you can make an argument for East Bangladesh. So anyhow, great job and apologies, Morgan. Well, last week, um, Tanya Douglas thanked us in the, the video interview, um, if you recall, she thanked us for holding the ropes for her family on the field. And, and maybe you kind of wonder, what does that mean anyway, holding the ropes? You know, is that just kind of a trite saying that we use that doesn't really have, you know, that's lost its meaning for what we're supposed to do for our missionaries? So I want to talk about that this morning. Um, holding the ropes. How many of you have ever been rappelling before? Okay, I see some hands. Okay, more hands going up. Um, it's, rappelling is a lot of fun. Basically, you know, you, a perfectly good cliff. 
he got a, a rope somehow hooked up to some kind of harness, and he just got to back off. Or if you're really crazy, you go Aussie style and, and run down the cliff, right? Um, and, and so back when I was in college, I had a job as a rafting guide in West Virginia. And, uh, and, but we also took people, taught them to rock climb and, and took them rappelling. And, uh, and so it was along the New River Gorge. Uh, there were a number of climbs, and we had all kinds of different groups. Often we would spend a week with them. And sometimes we'd get these kind of tough guy groups from like juvenile delinquent homes. They'd send them out into the, the woods from Chicago or whatever with us for a week. And, and for that group, we would take them first to, on day one, we learned before we got out in the woods with them, before we took them down the river, we really wanted them to learn some respect of authority, right? So we would take them to this rappel called Ram's Head, um, and it was a 120-foot rappel, but it was an incline. So from, when, you're, when you're going down, you couldn't actually see where you're headed, okay? And the rappelling is a lot of fun. After you've done it for a while, the, the, your, your body, your nervous system kind of gets used to the whole thing. And, and we used to, you know, throw Frisbees and stuff back and forth. We lost a lot of Frisbees. Um, but, 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 you know, the first time you go rappelling, it's terrifying. I mean, your knees are shaking. I remember the first time I went rappelling. Um, you know, you're, you're, everything, your whole body, your brain is saying, hey, this is going to work. You're safe. But everything else is, is saying, this is crazy. And so we would, we would take these kids rappelling off ram's head. And, uh, and I remember, you know, sometimes I would take the opportunity to share the gospel with them. It was a great moment. Um, I remember this, this one, one kid named Rod. Um, I was sending him over for the first time, and I just looked at him. He was shaking and scared, a big, tough kid from the inner city. But, and I said, hey, Rod, um, if you died today um, <laughs> and stood before God, what would you say? And he looked at me, like, stunned. He's like, what are you saying? I said, oh, nothing. See you later. Sent him off. <laughs> Three days later, around a campfire, Rod got saved. God drew him to himself, right? I mean, I built a relationship with him. He started asking questions. And the last I heard from him was a number of years ago, and he was, he was like, in seminary preparing for ministry. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Well, rappelling off a cliff is what going to the missions field is like. You know, it, it, it is terrifying, and you might not even be able to see the bottom or really know what it's going to be like when you get there. I remember when Beth and I for the, got on a plane to move to Central Asia, to Afghanistan in 2004, and there's a whole lot of work in getting ready to go. I mean, for us, it had been a year and a half of preparation we had sold our house, we had sold or gave away all our furniture, all our vehicles, and had pared everything down to where we had, I think, like eight bags, maybe it was six bags on the plane and a small shipment that we weren't sure if it was going to make it or not because they had to go through all kinds of crazy countries to, to get, get to Afghanistan. And I remember saying goodbye to family and loved ones and getting on the airplane and looking at Beth and I was like, it's like we're, it's like we're going to another planet or something. I mean, we have no idea what God has for us here. And yet it was so liberating and, and freeing. But it was terrifying too. Now, we knew that we were not alone. We got on that plane and it felt alone. We had, they, they, back then, they, they actually were nice enough to let my parents walk all the way to the gate with us. And Grace was one years old. And... and and I remember my dad looking at me right before I left. He said, you know, when you've got all these people behind you, maybe you're not really totally crazy. He was still trying to get used to this idea of his son going to Afghanistan. I, I'm paraphrasing him a little bit. Um, 
But, you know, he was saying, you know, all of these people who are with you, and we had probably 50 from our church who, who, who came and, and were sending us off. And, and I remember going through security, TSA, we got the special treatment, you know. To, you know, they went through everything with a fine-tooth comb because they kind of had an idea where we're headed. And, and 50 people were just watching and, and kept waving whenever we looked back, you know. And, and, and so we had that memory. You see, we knew that they were holding the ropes for us, that we weren't alone, that they were attached. Well, that's what we did. When we would send these folks repelling, okay, technically they were hooked up with, a, with an eight. We were kind of old school on a, on, a line, on, a, on a rope. And technically they could have gotten themselves to the bottom of the cliff if all had gone well and they hadn't freaked out. But we, set, we put a belay line on them. Okay, so we put a second line, fancy French word, and, and so usually I was kind of the guy who would belay from the top, 120 feet. I'd have a rope tied to the back of my harness, tied up to a, a tree, and I'd kind of hang on the edge of the cliff with another rope, lowering them down. Okay, and, and I, the first time, and they were scared, I'd keep that line tight, right? And as I, as I started kind of getting to what they're doing, I'd give them a little more slack and give them a little more control. So I had, I could feel their weight on my belay line. That's, that's what I was doing. And you know, there were a couple times where people got into real trouble. I remember one, one young lady on this, on this wall got her probably about 40, 50 feet down. She, got her, she had long hair and she got it all tangled up in the eight. She couldn't go down any further. So I had to tie her off and, and, and basically hang on to her while another guy went down there with, with, with a knife. And she lost some of her hair that day, okay, uh, to, to basically get her free so that she could continue her, her descent on that, on, that, uh, on that rappel line. It was assuring to them. Uh, it might have even saved their life, having somebody hold the rope. So holding the ropes means that you are the ones holding that belay line. And it's important when you're belaying somebody that you don't get distracted or even forget that they're there or let go of the rope. We knew our friends were holding the ropes for us and it was such a joy when we would shoot an email out or a letter, especially this happened a lot when we first got to the field, when you get replies from people. You're like, hey, I know that they care. I know they're, they're reading this, these emails and they're praying for us. It meant so much to us. And this is especially true for folks who are going to the unreached. Well, today we have, we have an honor and a, and a privilege of, of commissioning. We're going to lay hands at the end of the service on our sister Elizabeth um, as, as she goes and prepares to go to the unreached in Central Asia. But when you go to a place where the gospel has not yet been, you know there is a target, a big target on your back. The, the unreached live in hard places, and Satan really wants to keep them unreached. So there's going to be a lot of spiritual attack. And I remember times... Um, first as a single young guy in, in Mozambique and then later in Afghanistan thinking, I need prayer right now. I mean, I remember even asking God, like praying for prayer. That might sound kind of funny to you. Um, and there were times that I just knew that somebody is praying right now. There was, a, there was a deep peace and joy and even power that came over me. And I knew, I knew somebody was praying. We had the joy of hearing from Elizabeth last Saturday morning and we at, at our prayer breakfast and we 
heard about what she's going to do. And as she was talking about where she's going, uh, and as, as, as Gwen shared with us about kind of the, the, the landscape, okay, the tactical landscape, the fact that a lot of these people where she's heading are terrorists, right? Or they make really bad terrorists. Um, and how much, this is the answer, how much they need Jesus. When, when I, I kept thinking impossible mission. That's just, those are the two words that kept popping in my head. It's just a crazy, impossible mission. And it is impossible for man. So we're sending our best, you know. We're sending a single female to go, like, change the history of this people group. That's crazy. But that's how God works, right? Remember Gideon? I mean, God, that's what God does. It's not impossible for God. It's impossible for man. So Elizabeth isn't just rappelling down ram's head. You might say she's more like climbing... El Capitan, right? And she really needs somebody to hold that belay line. I mean, one slip, and that's her life. She needs us to hold the ropes. And that's what this year's theme is all about. You'll see in the front of your bulletin here, an M2M, connecting members to missions, or connecting members to missionaries. By the way, that's why our missionaries... Um, in the morning have, have been talking about ways that we can encourage them and, and help them. It's not because, you know, they're just um, entirely selfish people saying, hey, send this care package and that. We've been asking them. In fact, before they got on the line, the, the M team said, tell us how we can have a part in your ministry, right? How can we better connect with you? And so they've been responding by giving us specifics. And so the mission team and the, and the leadership of our church have decided that the best way that we can really support our missionaries well is through our life group structure, okay? Now, every life group in our church has been assigned a missionary to pray for. Now, maybe you're not a part of a life group. Um, and, that, and, and maybe you already, maybe you're not, and I, by the way, I wish you were. Um, it, this is discipleship. I mean, it happens in homes, right? Uh, in relationships. So let me encourage you if you're not a part of a life group, to get involved in a life group. But one of, the, one of the key things that we want our life groups to do, and, and we want to up our game here as a church, is to really help support and hold the ropes for our missionaries. You know, our church has 18 missionaries or organizations that we support. And for a church our size, honestly, that's a lot of work. It's a big responsibility that we have. And so that is one key reason that I'm praying that God will continue to grow our church, even in number. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves or be like, hey, we've got every seat full, but so that we can better support our missionaries and better help advance the kingdom of God. But we really need all hands on deck. So maybe, maybe you are someone who's been in our church for many years. Maybe, it's, maybe you can count like decades you've been a part of our church. And maybe once upon a time you were like doing everything. You know how it is in a lot of churches, you got like 30% of the people doing 70% of the work or 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Maybe that was you. Maybe 20 years ago you were doing, you, you, had, you had a lot of rocks in your backpack. All right. And now maybe you're saying, hey, I've been there and I've done that. So I'm putting my feet up. It's time for me to coast a little bit and to retire from ministry. Well, let me say this. Thank you for your service, and I do hope that 
that, and I get that as you get a little bit older, sometimes you need to put your feet up a little bit more. But heaven is where you really get to put your feet up. And we need your help. We need your wisdom and your experience. So if you're kind of on cruise control, I want to ask you to put a couple more rocks in your backpack and help us get this, this mission done. Okay? Now, let me talk to some of you new folks. How many of you in this church in the last year um, joined or, or showed up or just started kind of, or maybe you're here for the first time? Put your hand in there. If you've been here less than a year, put your hand up for a moment so we can see, see who you are. Okay, that's quite a few hands. That's a lot of hands, right? And when you're new, you know, you're like, hey, you know, I'm still figuring out what's going on here. Um, and, and maybe I'm not really totally on the hook. Well, we want you to be on the hook, okay? Because we need you. Maybe you're young and strong and you can carry a lot of rocks in your backpack, okay? We, we need your hands on, we need some strong hands on the rope. So if you're not a member yet, just come, sign up this week for Discover Rocky so you can learn more about our church and consider joining as a member because you can do a whole lot more that way than when you're not, right? But every one of you can be involved and, and we need you. Um, I asked the Axelsons right after the, 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 their presentation this morning if they've had a good week and if they've been able to connect with a lot of folks. I'm going off strip, script, by the way, here. So um, my wife, Beth, you can start giving me the look in a moment. Um, so we land the plane today, today in time. Um, but, you know, I asked them that, and they said, they said um, you know, yeah, it was a good week. Um, we, you know, we had, we're in a couple homes, but we sure wish we had a chance this week to get to know more of the new people. Well, here's the deal. The week's not over. The day's not over. They've got a table out there. So if you're, if like you've been here less than a year, I want you to like flock them, right? I want you to like, you know, talk to them. I mean, that will make their day. They're they're representing Wycliffe, helping get the, the, the word of God to every language. They gave me this cool band just now. It says, end Bible poverty. I mean, that's better than like, you know, you know, rescue stray dogs, right? End Bible poverty. They got like a, a bucket or a bunch of those bands over there. So once you grab one of those bands, talk to them and ask them how you can help end Bible poverty, okay? So we need everybody, old Rocky, new Rocky, we need you, but we have determined that the best way forward, the best way for us as a whole church to really make sure that we are really holding the ropes for our missionaries is through our life groups, because we need to make sure that nobody gets left out. So Bracken, uh, Brackens, Christensen's James life group, right? Y'all were making the, the crepes, or whatever those things were called. What were those things called? They were like, they're better than crepes. Crepes are French, right? They were good. They got a 29, they got 10 for food, right? They could, they, according to the, the judges, they could have had a little more color maybe in their display or something like that. But it was pretty, y'all were good, y'all were good, right? Y'all did a great job representing Elizabeth. You had some good actionable prayer requests. And so I wanna encourage you guys, every week that you get together, or if it's every other week, whenever your life group meets, make sure that you pray for Elizabeth. Skype her in sometime, FaceTime her, whatever. You know, she's a millennial. She can show you how to do it, Stephen, okay? (laughs) Occasionally, send her a care package. Figure out how to do it. We have something called iBobs, right? Because some of these places where our folks are, boxes don't really get there too well through the postal system. But iBobs are international beasts of burden, right? They are friends of Elizabeth, 
or the Tidwells who come and go. And so you need to say, hey, Elizabeth, when is an IBOB heading your way? You know, when is a friend of a friend or whatever? And they'll gladly send you their address, like Elizabeth will send you their address, and you can send a package to the IBOB, who then gets to, like, carry a small carry-on of just their stuff so they can check Elizabeth and all her other friends' stuff to get to her, right? So there are ways to get stuff to your missionaries. Do you know how much it means when you get a care package? I got a little video I want to show you. Uh, you, you ready? All right, cue it up there, Malachi Force. Anybody recognize this family? We were talking to them last week. Let's get the lights so they can, they can see here, Ryder. Looks like the Schuligers. So we are going to open this. This is how our packages come. They come in a big plastic bag because they have already opened them. Back way, boy. They zip tie it. They zip tie it. And like nothing can open that. Industrial, like, industrial yeah, straight ahead. Really. The other scissors? No, these are the best scissors we have. Yep. Yeah, careful. Careful with those scissors. Oh, careful. Obviously, well packaged, so you're stuck to safe. Careful. Lots of people 
wrote us notes in here. Oh my the Hamiltons, the Brewers, let's see, the Up oh, Venice, the uh, Hint and Pam, oh. Ian Bristol, let's see, this is Ian, Mr. Ian. Wow! Well, we'll, write that. we'll read these in a few minutes. Awesome. That is so awesome. awesome. I'm excited. Oh my goodness, guys. Some more CDs for the car. Maybe. So we can sweet, sweet, sweet. That's awesome. What's this? <gasps> sweet. Oh. sweet, sweet, sweet. This is super exciting. Oh my goodness. Oh, twistable. All right. I think, I think you get the idea. Th th thank you. Um, it's like Christmas, right? Um, man, you can make such a difference in a family's life with a package. Um, you know, um, maybe, maybe you remember um, from last week, or actually this morning even, uh, ways in which the, the missionaries that we got to try to VTC with talked about how we can try to partner with them. Um, Elizabeth's Life Group, uh, you guys need to find ways, creative ways, to partner with her in her ministry. Maybe even one of you or a small band of you would be, would be, would actually go out there and, and minister to her. And now, this morning, unfortunately, we had a hard time with the um, audio, uh, something that had to do, I think, with the internet connection and a lack of a microphone on their end in, in, um, in Southeast Asia or South Asia. But um, did you guys catch what Natalie said about an opportunity to help with a homeschool conference? Uh, I don't know if you kind of caught all that. Uh, Gwen mentioned a little bit of that afterwards. But both, I mean, this is a win. This is three of our families, right? The Tidwells, the Douglases, and the Hamiltons are all going to be in Chiang Mai, Thailand in February, going through a, it's like a, a homeschool conference. Like, how, how do you train, how do you teach your kids on the mission field? That's what it is, right? IMB is putting this thing on, and they're, they're looking for several churches to partner with them to come out and to, and to, and to take care of child care. Right? So they're asking us. They're saying, hey, would you come out and like volunteer and be with us? And this would be a huge encouragement. So I want you to pray about that, especially if you're part of the Hamilton, Tidwell, or Douglas life groups. It'd be awesome for you guys to be all over this. But for anybody here who's interested, talk to Gwen afterwards, right? He'll be getting you, mission team will be getting you more information. This is in February, be about 10 day trip. Um, and, and totally doable kind of trip. Chiang Mai is a real safe place, really good, good, good flights in and out of there. Um, you'll be staying in a hotel with them, a lot of opportunities to rub shoulders and just to, to breathe some real um, encouragement into their lives and to help in a, in a tangible way. I can't tell you how much it meant to Beth and I when, when our home church did this for us when we went to a conference like this in Dubai. I mean, it was so awesome just having lunch with, with folks from home. And, and breakfast and dinner and playing games with them and, and having them minister us in tangible ways. Um, this is something to jump all over. Well, the mission team selected Romans 12, 9 through 13, these verses that Bart read for us this morning, to be the text for our conference. But as I was looking through this text, I couldn't help but say, we've got to start in verse 1. And I'm, I'm going to give us a big picture uh, view this morning. We're going to look at this more closely since we're walking through Romans together. But right now, I want to actually apply this text to how we think about missions and about ourselves as rope holders, as part of the team. Now, remember the context of Paul writing the letter to the Romans. He was on the tail end of his third missionary journey, right? This letter was written from the context of doing missions. 
And Paul's aim, his, his goal with this letter was actually to get to Spain one day, the outer rim. But he needed these, this Roman church to be a sending church. So in a sense, all of this letter with all of the rich theology and application is Paul training a church how to send him well to Spain. That's the context of this book. So we're going to just look at these verses really quickly this morning, and we're going to look at how this applies to us in being a sending church, and specifically how we should be holding the ropes. And so the first point this morning in the sermon, I know that was a long wind-up intro, okay. The first point is that the rope that we're to hold was made by God. In other words, He is the one who gave us the mission. The rope that we're supposed to be holding, that's God's rope. Last week, Jeff Woods taught us that reaching all people, all nations with the gospel is God's meta-narrative. And each of our lives has a narrative, and we need to make sure that our narrative is a part of God's meta-narrative. Psalm 96.3 says, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel shall be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the text that Jeff preached on. Go therefore. Does that sound optional to you or secondary? This is the meta-narrative. This is God's plan from eternity for humanity, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are his. That means our priorities, each of our priorities in this room, should not be informed and conformed to that of this world, but to that of Christ. So look at verse 1 through 2 with that in mind of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the culture in which we live embraces and prioritizes comfort, safety, and the mindset of get your pleasure now because there's nothing else later, right? And, and frankly, our flesh is very happy to follow suit. But we instead, according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, must embrace God's will for the gospel to be brought to every people group. And that might mean some temporal suffering and discomfort, but it's eternal glory. And I've got to say, plenty of adventure as well. Elizabeth? Your life may not always be easy. Where are you, Elizabeth? I lost you. There you are. Your life may not always be easy these next several years. You're certainly not choosing the easy road, but I promise you one thing, your life will never be boring. You're not choosing a boring path. 
Well, God wants some of us to go down that cliff to bring the gospel to the people who are down there who don't yet have it. The rope is God's. He made it. And number two, we better, all of us, those of us who don't descend that rope, we better hold that rope. You know, there are many gifts and many members, but there's only one body and one mission, and that is to know him and to make him known. That's to our neighbors. That's to the end of the earth. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and to be honest, you're not that excited about missions. You're like, you know, that's, that's kind of a, you know, a program that belongs to some people, uh, maybe kind of, you know, these elite kind of Christians or whatever, but for the regular Joes, you know, missions isn't really part of who we are. Well, I want you to know that that, first of all, it's just not biblical, that mindset, all right? But secondly, you are part of our church. And if you're a part of our church, our church is all about missions. And so it is a part of you if you're part of our church. In fact, it is, a, it is God's mission, bringing the gospel to all people. And so if you're, part of, if you're a Christian, missions should be a part of who you are. It's because of missions that you're even saved. Because you don't live in a place called Jerusalem. You live in a place that was once upon a time the ends of the earth. And people were faithful to bring it to you. So let's look with that in mind at verse 3 through 8. And think about this. One one body, one mission, many gifts, many members, as I read these verses. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and have individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. So you'll notice as I read these, some are kind of like action, what we might think of frontliner, like proclamation gifts. Others are support gifts. All are necessary and are part of the mission and are to be celebrated. Having gifts, that verse 6, that differ according to the, the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the rope... The mission is God's. He's the one who crafted it and gave it to us. And we all have a responsibility to hold on to that rope. But the third point is that this rope that God has given us, it comes with instructions. There's an instruction manual. And that's verse 3 or 9 through 13. The, the text that our mission team has, has selected to be the theme of our conference that says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast. Oh, I like that. There you go, the rope illustration. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
and seek to show hospitality. So let's look briefly at each of these instructions. Let love be genuine. You know, people know whether your love is genuine. And Elizabeth, where you're going, you need to love people even if they reject you. And at some point, people will reject you. And you know what, brothers and sisters? We need to love the people that Elizabeth loves. I can't tell you how much it meant to us when we got home and people came up to us and knew the names of people that we had been trying to reach out to, right? Do you know how much it means to the wilds when, when, when we mention actual names um, uh, of, of the people that, that they've been ministering to all these years? Or, or the walkers, the names of the boys that, that virtually live with them, that they, they, they love on and, and are discipling? Uh, these are people, and we need to love the people that our missionaries love. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You know, if you're holding, if, if your job is to hold the rope, and if, you, if you're holding a belay line for a really long time, there is plenty to distract you when you're holding that rope. Evil tempts. And it would be very easy to forget that Elizabeth is even down there because there's the lure of materialism. There's the siren of pornography. There's the temptation to give in to evil and pride and anger. And all of these things are going to completely not only pull us away from a relationship with God, but they're going to distract us from holding the ropes. So you've got to abhor evil. You have to reject it and avoid it. And you've got to hold on to the mission and to our sister. That is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Jesus linked this to the mission, to success of the mission, our love for one another. In John 13, 35, he said, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is the key to success in the field. And we who hold the ropes need to pray for our sent ones, frankly, that they would love one another. We had the opportunity, Beth and I, to have Elizabeth over for lunch on Friday. And she was kind of gleaning, asking us for advice on, on strategy and missions and all this. And, you know, she was really looking for how do you, you know, how do you, how do you share with Islamic people and, and apologetics type stuff. Um, but we, I said, hey, Elizabeth, you know what you need to watch out for? Comparison. Uh, missionaries compare with each other constantly, and it leads to conflict and, and to jealousy and to envy. Uh, all of us do that. All of us compare, but for some reason, Satan really uses this on the mission field. It, it can be anything from comparing, like, your house size versus my house size. Uh, you have furniture. We all sit on the ground trying to be more culturally appropriate. You guys should be trying more when really maybe it's a little bit of jealousy going on. Uh, who's better at language? Who has, in places where there are very few believers, it might be who has seen conversions and who has not, or how many. Or even before that, if you're in a place with like no believers, it's like, how many relationships do I have? Right? And, and it can even get to a point where you're hearing about God's work in somebody's life and like saving a soul. And you ought to be rejoicing, but inside you're like, I haven't seen that yet. And you're feeling jealous. And, and so comparison kills. We need to pray that our brothers and sisters on the field would get along and would love each other. And they're in a pressure cooker, and they're with far fewer people to kind of disperse the conflict, 
right? So they're seeing the same people that they work with and live with and, and do ministry with, and it's really easy to, to fight and to get in conflicts. But you know what? We too have the same tendencies, and we too here need to strive to love one another. Because if we stop loving each other and we start doing war with each other, you know what I mean? Pulling out the knives or maybe, you know, using two hands to write mean emails back and forth. Guess what? We're not holding the ropes anymore. Our hands are off the rope. We have dropped the rope. So we need to love one another and we need to strive to love our missionaries with brotherly affection, according to this text. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. So we need to love our missionaries, life groups, enough to stay in contact with them, to actually read their prayer letters and to write back and let them know that we're tracking, that we're there, that we're holding that rope in prayer and to understand what they're going through so that we can empathize with them and, and pray for them when they're in their moments of need and rejoice with them during the, the, the great times. So we have got to love them with brotherly affection. Do not be slothful in zeal. Actually, I skipped one. Outdo one another in showing honor, Paul writes. So that doesn't mean putting missionaries on pedestals. That's not a kind thing to do, by the way, to anybody, to put them on a pedestal. It means they got a lot farther to fall, okay? Uh, and, it, and it means that there's a separation between you. So don't put missionaries on pedestals. They're sinners just like me and you, okay? Um, but it means honoring the mission and honoring them by being a part Support staff, we've already heard this this morning. The Axelsons did a good job saying how, look, in order to have a kind of a shooter on the field, on the front line, it takes all this work to keep them there. I mean, it takes IT, and it takes airplanes, and it, ta it takes doctors, and it takes prayer warriors, and people putting together care packages, right? And people giving money. It takes a lot of work to keep a missionary on the field. And so all of us are to be a part of that. So don't look at being a sender as being somehow non-essential. Maybe, in fact, with our sister, we need to go old school. Instead of thinking of her on El Capitan, imagine Elizabeth being dropped down by a group of people back before they had all the fancy rock climbing equipment into a subterranean cave to get the gospel to them, right? Where all she's got is a rope tied around her. And if we let go for a moment, we're dropping her. That might be the best analogy for where she's going, okay? We have got to hold the ropes. That is how we honor her. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Well, maybe right now in your life, you're depressed or distressed or overwhelmed with life right now, and it's really hard to think about missions because you're stuck in your own head. And that, you know, the, the, the truth is you still got somebody hanging on a rope, even if that's true. And the person who's hanging on the rope might be able to actually minister to you. So maybe actually grabbing that rope might actually help you get out of your own head. And all of us are there at times. All of us can struggle by looking inside too much. Maybe it's fear. But the more you get to see their world, the more there you, can, you can serve the Lord with joy. I don't know how many of you, if, if you've seen a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's not about missions, all right? Just a, but it's a movie that I actually really like, right? Because it's about this guy who has always been kind of stuck in this box of fear. 
He, 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 you know, the way he kind of dealt with it, he, he spends a lot of time imagining doing things that are crazy, you know? But he's stuck in this, this box, and then there's this one seminal move, moment in the film in which he, he's got to get out of that box. He actually runs and, and jumps in this helicopter, and then his whole life changes, right? He starts living real adventures, and he starts living with purpose. And, you know, that's what following Jesus is like, and that's what getting, in, getting involved in missions is like. So the more you hold that rope, the more you connect with your, your missionary, it's very possible God may use that to give you more purpose and there to be more color and for sure more adventure in your life. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, this is for Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth, sometimes, and, and I think you've already experienced this some, but sometimes your mission that God has given you is going to seem impossible. So don't give up hope. Sometimes the people that you have chosen to love will persecute you because you are a child of God. And so you need to be patient. This is a marathon. Remember, too, when people persecute you, Elizabeth, or brothers and sisters, when anyone persecutes you, because you are a Christian. Remember this, right? That you and me and all of us have persecuted Christ. We did. We still do. Whenever we willfully sin against him, that is rejection. So Jesus is the role model here, right? He didn't give up, and neither should we. And through his strength, we can indeed be patient and can even love those who pick on us. So Elizabeth patiently endure the hard times, and we need to do that with her. A couple months ago, Sarah Smith did a wonderful job sharing with us about some of the, the tribulations, some of the, the, the hard things that missionaries go through. And I don't have the time to begin to unpack everything that she said. It was great. And in fact, if anybody's interested, Sarah, where are you? I think you were here this morning. Um, raise your hand. Okay, Sarah's in the back. Um, if you want to get, she's got this awesome document that, that talks about stress that missionaries go through. Um, talk, to, talk to Sarah. She can, she can really fill you in. But language learning is incredibly stressful when you're on the field because you're walking around with the functionality of like a three-year-old. And people look at you that way. And, and there's separation fam from family. And there is danger in some of these places. And there is culture stress and, and rejection. And even, even worse often is the perception, the self-perception of failure that a lot of our missionaries live with and deal with and have a hard time communicating. And so this is how the rope holder, the person up top, can help the missionary be hopeful and patient. And it's right here in our text. It's two words, and it says, constantly pray. Constantly pray. They need care packages. Sure they do. They need communication that puts a real spring in their step. But what they really need is our prayers. And frankly, this is an area that we can grow in because it's easy to forget. I mean, we've got our lives right in front of us. They're way down that cliff, right? We don't see them. We haven't seen them for a long time. We can forget that we really are holding the ropes. So we need to do all we can to strategize and to be intentional about praying for your missionaries. And I've got to confess, this last Friday night, even as I was working on this very sermon, our life group met, and I realized just yesterday that we forgot, and it's my fault, we forgot to pray for the Douglases when we met. We love them. We've sent them a care package, but we forgot to pray for them. So leaders, life group leaders, 
Um, stop forgetting to pray for your missionary. It's your assignment, okay? It's important. You are holding, you are helping others hold their ropes. So if, if that's you, if you're like me, um, just repent. Start praying for them. And, and Megan Schuliger this week put together a great guide with some of our immediate requests and needs from our missionaries. And we've printed out, she, she did this for the Wednesday night prayer group. Um, in, in which some folks gathered right here in this room and, and prayed for our missionaries. But we've got a stack of these out there. And so all of you could grab one of these and take it home and pray in, 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 in a very strategic way for our missionaries. The last here is contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now this is talking about generous financial support for eternal investments. Eternal investments. You know, I would encourage you to even think about building your financial life such that you can give up and beyond more and more year after year to missionaries. Even, even developing a portfolio of God's kingdom work. And we, we as a church are trying to do that. Right now we're around 18, I think. 18 to 20% of our regular giving is going to missions. I hope that grows. To be honest with you, I am not satisfied with that amount. Okay, I hope that we as a church can make that grow, that, that, that in five years from now, we're giving a whole lot more and being able to support our missionaries even better because this is God's meta-narrative. But it's not only money. It's our time. It's, it's like praying for missionaries at the dinner table or reading prayer letters, putting them in a place. And we, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of email and I know a lot of missionaries. I mean, I know a lot of missionaries. And I get daily, every day I get a number, I get several prayer letters. And, and to be honest with you, I don't always read every one of them because of just the tyranny of the urgent sometimes. But trying to read these, and especially the missionary that your life group has been given, reading their prayer letters and responding to them goes a long way to contribute to their needs and then to seek to show hospitality. This word hospitality comes from a Greek word that actually means love for strangers. And the advance of the gospel in the early years depended on hospitality, depended on people bringing people into their homes. And today in a lot of the world, it's still that way. I remember serving in, in Africa and when you'd have a guest show up in town and it was, it was just an honor to bring them into your house and, and let them just stay as long as they wanted. I and mean, it was just a joy to have guests. And, and we see this in places like Afghanistan, where the locals say a guest is more important than a father. So hospitality is a Christian virtue that we may undervalue in our culture because of our busyness and our, um, our, our master, our, the fact that we're mastered very much by the clock. And this is, in fact, something that we can learn from other Cultures, But in our context as a church, I want to challenge you to practice hospitality by opening the doors of your home and the doors of your heart to our missionaries and thus for Jesus Christ. Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And this next year, we're going to have some great opportunities for hospitality as a church because both the Walker family and the Wild family are going to be here with us for an extended amount of time with their kids. And so this is a great way. I want to encourage you to, to invite them into your home. 
Spend time with them. Get to know them. And I want to talk for a moment as we, as we close to the youth. So this is, so hey, if you're a youth, I, I get it. I've been up here talking for a long time. Maybe you've been kind of, you know, drifting off. Listen up. All right. Um, if you're a youth, we need you to be hospitable to our missionary kids. Let me just ask you the question. Uh, youth, in general, are you hospitable? Okay. I mean, do you hang out with your friends, the people that you're comfortable with, or when somebody shows up who's new, do you naturally just go out there and try to bring them in, into the fold? And if you don't, I want you to know that you, you need to lead, we, we, we as a church need you to lead us in showing us how to be more hospitable. See, hospitality is an important Christian command. In fact, it's a, it's a qualification for an elder. So if you're not hospitable, you're not qualified to be an elder. But it's not only for elders, it's for all Christians. And Paul told Timothy to lead people as a youth, right, by example. So, so youth, when our missionary kids show up, I hope you don't leave, leave them kind of standing there by themselves. I hope you are very quick to bring them in because you know something? They are more interesting than your friends. They are. These are some amazing people who have been through some incredible life experiences who have way more bandwidth than you do. And so you need to learn from them. I learned in college that the missionary kids were awesome. They were really cool. Some of them were a little bit different, to be honest with you. Um, but they were really cool. And I so much enjoyed, like, I could just sit there for hours and pepper them with stories and learn from them and even go out and do stuff with them, right? I mean, they just had a framework that was that was awesome. I mean, some of them had been shot at. They had, they had been through coups. They spoke multiple languages. They had, you know, they had been on treks through the Amazon. They had done amazing things. Um, you know, some of them had been to like 30 or 40 countries. I, I think MK, I thought MKs were so cool I married one. So here's the question, brothers and sisters. Are you holding the ropes for your missionary? Sometimes the truth is we all get distracted and tired. And sometimes we forget. Here's the good news for you, Elizabeth. At some point, here's the bad news, some point we're going to let you down. Even your life group at some point, even though they make great crepes or whatever those things are called, they're going to let you down at some point. Okay? Here's the truth. God is going to be holding your rope, Elizabeth. God ultimately is the one holding all of our ropes, and he will never fail us. Brothers and sisters, let's not uh, be passive. God uses us. He holds ropes by using us, by using his people, the hands of his children. Let's, let's pray, and then we're going to um, do something very special together here. Father God, I pray that, that um, we would be a faithful church to send well and to support well and to faithfully hold Elizabeth's rope and all of those that we have sent out. Lord, may they live in our hearts. May we pray for them. May we give to their ministries. May we be emotionally involved in their work. May that be a big part of our purpose. Lord, I pray that you just work in us and, and help us um, step up to the next level that you would have us to serve you by serving them with. I pray this in, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.